Good morning, Mount Airy Baptist Church. It's a pleasure to be with you again on this Sunday where Dr. Shorter gets an excused absence, right? Bring you greetings from Anderson University and from the College of Christian Studies, and it's, as always, it's our pleasure to partner with you to train and to raise up a new generation of ministers for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to take that good news to the ends of the earth. We'll be in Luke chapter 8 this morning. We'll be picking up in verse 40, and... Um, This is the story of Jairus and his daughter and the woman with a hemorrhage of blood. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about twelve years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master! The crowds surrounding you are the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus says, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Pray with me. Father, it is our delight and our joy to gather this morning as your people, to sit under your word. 
And we thank you today, and we are all struck today that you are not a God who remained in hiding, but you are the God who speaks, the God who shows, the God who reveals, the one who has sent your one and only Son to accomplish for us that which we could not do for ourselves by a cross to atone for sin and a resurrection to conquer death. So we pray this morning as we turn to your word that you, by your Holy Spirit, you would open up our eyes to your word and yes, you would open up your word to our eyes that we may see, that we may know the beautiful things you have for us here. May we be changed this morning by the preaching of your word for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Perhaps there is nothing like sickness to put you on your face before God. I cannot read the account of Jairus and his daughter without thinking about the fall of 2015 when my own daughter, about 12 years old at the time, fell ill with a virus that physicians could barely diagnose, much less treat, and for seven weeks, for seven weeks, she was out of school. For seven weeks, she was in her bed moaning. There were days when we would have to force her out of bed to get something to eat, to go to the bathroom, to take a bath. And for seven weeks, I would be in bed at night sleepless. And I kept having this thought circle through my mind. My daughter is going to die, and only an autopsy is going to give us an answer. Jesus, do something. So Jairus isn't far from me. And he isn't far from you. Chances are good you have been there one way or another. And if not, you will be. These bodies are frail. They are weak. They are are fallen. We, We aren't far from Jairus. And we aren't far from the woman. A private pain that left her isolated, vulnerable anonymous. She is hidden in plain sight. We don't even know her name. It's a powerful juxtaposition that we find here in Luke chapter 8. Here's Jairus. He's a synagogue ruler. He is the first century version of a celebrity megachurch pastor. Probably has an entourage. Normally people come and they fall down at Jairus' feet. But a sick daughter changes all that. A sick little girl makes him go and fall down at Jesus' feet. So there's a a big man. There's There's a ruler here. There's a mighty man. And there's a weak, weak woman. She has suffered for as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. She is sick and unclean. She is unhealthy and unwelcome, and no one could help her. Sickness knows no status, and neither does Jesus. 
Notice here in our passage, both the high and the low fall down at his feet. And in Luke's gospel, Mary, the mother of Jesus, told us that this is exactly how it would be. When the angel came to her and told her that she would bear a child by the Most High, she said, she's saying, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And here it is. Here it happens in Luke chapter 8. Listen, if Jesus has not dislodged you from judging other people or viewing yourself by some sense of socioeconomic status, then you don't know Him. With Jesus, there are no kings and there are no outcasts. He is the great leveler. The ground is level before Jesus. So no matter who you are, sickness will put you on your face before God. It'll make you wonder, what does it mean to walk with the Lord? What does it mean to really trust God? We talk about it a lot. We sing about it all the time. But what's it like in the thick of things? To put it another way, what what does Jesus want from you anyway? That's what Luke chapter 8 is all about. If you'll take a moment and just scan the chapter, you'll see that it opens with the parable of the soils. And in the parable of the soils, the seed is the word of God. Some seed is spread along the path, but is snatched away by the devil. Some falls on the rock, but it can't take root. When tested, it withers away. Some seed lands among thorns, and it gets choked out. And some seed falls on good soil. And Jesus says that these are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. The remainder of the chapter is simply a demonstration of this parable. Jesus spreads the seed in word and deed and people, when they are tested, respond in various ways. Some get it, Some don't. Here in the chapter, Jesus calms the wrath of a storm, and and the disciples seem more afraid of him than they were of it, and they ponder his identity. Who is this man? They go to the Gerasenes, and Jesus heals the town demoniac, but the people rebuff him. They kick him out of their city. They would rather have a demoniac roaming their cemetery than a savior roaming their streets. But the man healed from the demon, he gets it. He clings to Jesus. He wants to stay with Jesus. But Jesus sends him out to go tell the good news of what has happened to him. And in all of this, Jesus displays his lordship. He is lord over creation. He can satisfy the wrath of a storm. He is lord over demons. He is lord over evil. He is lord and he proves it time and time again. But people respond to him in different ways. Some fear, some reject, some embrace. And it all comes to a climactic point here in our passage and we get to see the real thing. Real faith. And we learn how to distinguish it from the fake. From that which is artificial. 
In our passage, Jesus returns to Jewish land after being rejected in Gentile territory. And the people, the crowd, they welcome him. They've been waiting for him. They like him. But don't be fooled by them. Jairus comes, he makes a desperate plea, and Jesus makes his way. But this crowd, imagine narrow streets, a lot of people, it's all squeezing in. I I imagine this to be something like uh, a Disney World parade on the 4th of July, only people didn't have deodorant back then. I think that's how it would (laughs) be. But they are pressing in on him, preventing him from going. In fact, the word here pressed is very similar to the word choked in the parable of the soils. The crowd is choking Jesus. They are choking out the work of the word of God. This is the effect of the crowd. And as they prevent Jesus from going to the big man's house, a lowly woman sneaks through. Think of her risks. She's unclean. She's a threat to public health. The crowd might scold her. The synagogue ruler might chastise her. Jesus might embarrass her, but she'll take the chance. She could sneak in, be healed, and sneak away. And she did. She snuck in. She was healed, but she could not sneak away. Jesus would not allow it. It was not enough for the issue of blood to cease. She needed to be declared whole in the presence of them all. She needed to be fully restored. Verse 47. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. There it is. That's the real thing. No longer hidden, she came out of hiding. It's me. I'm the desperate one. I'm the sick one. I'm the lowly one. And Jesus healed me. Jesus saved me. This is the testimony of every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ because this is faith. Faith is coming out of your hiding before God. The response here of the woman is exactly the opposite of Adam's response after he had sinned back in the Garden of Eden. Remember that? Adam and Eve had sinned. Jesus came looking for Adam. Adam, where are you? And where was he? Hiding. Running. Here Jesus says, who touched me? And knowing she could not hide, she declared in the presence of them all. Here we are really close to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. 
If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I will never forget Mr. William Mike Sell. He was an elderly gentleman who lived in an apartment complex uh, directly behind the church that I pastored before moving to, to Anderson. And one Sunday morning, he came to worship. Very slowly, having made his way across the parking lot with his walker. Mr. Mike said was gentle. He had a big smile. Everyone loved Mr. Mike Sell. And after he had visited for a few weeks, I caught him in the hallway after worship and began to have a conversation, and he told me his life story. He told me about the war in Korea. He told me about the son he never sees. He told me about his wife who passed away. And as I began to acquire about his, church, his choice to join us and, and worship, our conversation turned to Jesus and what exactly Jesus had accomplished for us by his death and by his resurrection, his conquering of death, and how by faith in Christ we can be adopted, we can be made new, new creations, we can be justified in God's sight, we can have an eternal home with God, and God will redeem all these, these things, he will reconcile all things and make all things new. And I was laboring to make that as crystal clear as I possibly could for Mr. Mike Sell when he cut me off. He said, that's it? Jesus did all that for me? My whole life I've just been thinking, I want so bad to show God what a good man I want to be. But I'm always so scared. He looked down for a moment as if to process everything he was thinking about, and he looked up back at me with bright eyes. And he said, I feel like a brand new man. He was. At 82 years old, out of his hiding, into the light of Christ, a brand new man. And that was the most careful baptism I have ever ever performed <laughs> listen vulnerable candidness before God is the good soil in which faith grows that's it that's the real thing you've got to see and you've got to say what God already knows where are you he asks and what do you say Still hiding? Still afraid? Still waiting to see what the crowd will do? Don't do that because the crowd gets it wrong. Beginning in verse 49, we are back on track with Jairus and his worst fear has come true. She's dead. It's too late. And in the passage, we feel this collision of cosmic forces, things that cannot both be true. On the one hand, your daughter is dead. Do not bother the teacher anymore. On the other hand, do not be afraid. Only believe 
and she will be well. You feel that? There's faith versus fear. There is life versus death. And everyone here in the scene, everyone must choose. There's a choice to make. But don't follow the crowd. We see Jairus is there. His wife is there. The inner circle of disciples, they are there. But the crowd gives him trouble. Look at verse 52. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. No wonder Jesus didn't let them in the house. Think about this crowd. They welcomed Jesus, but they choked him from doing his work. They witnessed a healing within and laughed at his words. Listen, not everyone who hangs around Jesus has faith. Not everyone who likes Jesus believes in Jesus. And this is strong medicine. This is strong medicine for us who live in a great place we do. For those of us that live in upstate South Carolina where everybody loves Jesus and so few will openly deny him, but the simple, easy, nominal associations we make with Jesus don't look much like Jairus' pleading or the woman's reaching. I share with young people all the time and students at Anderson, I say, you need to look at me, listen to me, You cannot ride your grandmother's Jesus to heaven. That's not the way it works. The woman's reaching, Jairus is pleading, this is the good soil. Verse 54. Taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. The lesson here is that yes, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over death. He can rescue you from death and from the curse that causes death. But you can't have him if you don't believe him. Jesus commands them to stay quiet because feeding the hype of the crowd won't create faith. That's not how it works. So the point is this. The point for all of us who call ourselves believers of the Lord Jesus Christ who want to be on mission for the gospel to the nations, the point is this. It's not about the hype. It's about coming out of your hiding before God. Faith is not marked by waves of raised hands in a giant stadium with loud music. Faith is not marked by platforms and branding, book releases and speaking tours, podcasts and bumper stickers and t-shirts. There's nothing wrong with any of those things on their own, but those don't necessarily mark true faith. Faith is not found in the roar of the crowd. Faith is is being found. Being found. Faith is coming out of hiding before God because God in Christ came out of hiding to us. 
He came. Emmanuel. God with us. And if God came out of hiding to us in Christ, the call of the gospel, the ringing of the gospel through the centuries and across the continents is this. Come. Come. Come out of your hiding. Come out of your fear. Come to God. And that would be a frightening, even a condemning prospect. Coming out of hiding to God would be a hellish thing, except that a Savior awaits you there. Jesus awaits us there. Coming out of hiding before God might look like many things. Things public, things private, things big, things small. It might look like responding to the voice of Christ as it resounds throughout Mount Airy Baptist Church. As simple as an honest prayer request in your Bible study fellowship class. As hard as unveiling a deep pain with a trusted friend. As scary as confessing a sin, seeking forgiveness and repentance. It may mean saying... It's me. I've been running. I've been hiding. I've been living my whole life estranged from God my Father. And I want to go home. And Jesus is the way. First Corinthians, Paul says, He who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Coming out of hiding is exactly the imagery of baptism. Baptism is where you say, me. I am the guilty, condemned sinner. And see, I am being plunged in a flood of judgment. I am being plunged into waters of death. I am being drowned as a condemned sinner. I am uniting with Christ in his death. Condemned. Only to be raised up to new life in him. Joining him in death. Joining him in resurrection. Coming out of hiding. And coming into the light and the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come out of your hiding to God in Christ. Because that is exactly what he wants from you. Pray with me. And after we pray, we'll have a time of invitation and I'll be down front willing to assist or pray with you or help you in any way I can. Father, we are so thankful today for your word and for the power of it. We are thankful today that you speak to us clearly and that you pierce us with your word and you show us what is true. I pray today that we would be out of our hiding before you. And we would walk out these things, not merely demonstrate them when the church gathers on Sunday, but we would walk in this way in our lives. We pray these things in that sweet, healing, wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.